0: Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. It's time to revisit Cava, the sparkling wine of Spain, which is made in the same way as champagne and other traditional method sparkling wines. The reason we're going to revisit this uh, style of wine because I did do a podcast episode on CAVA a few years ago to help uh, WCT students but things have changed in that time and what we're really going to emphasize in this episode is the sense of regionality with CAVA because it's made in different areas of Spain which has really helped back the sense of identity of Cava in comparison to the much smaller area and the much more concentrated area of Champagne, and how producers are working with specific sites to produce much higher quality wine, and how that's been expressed in the regulations, but nevertheless still a lot of controversy about whether to belong to the Cava D.O. or whether not to, the different organizations which have been established because they feel cover um, holds quality back and how the cover organization is trying to respond to these challenges from high quality producers to say no you should be part of our designation and um, that cover can be very good so there's a lot of back and forth with cover and so we'll look at the um, history of cover and how it got to this stage where quality has been overrun by quantity and how um, things might be changing and that there are still good quality Cava being made, which we should be on the lookout for. So it's a region kind of like Spain itself, which is vibrant and dynamic and ever-changing, but at the same time a little stuck in its ways, and so there's that contrast, that pull between the past and the future, which we're seeing in Cava. So where is Cava made? That's the essential question. So with most styles of wine we're talking about a small region or even a large region but it's still a region so whether it's champagne or it's chateauneuf de pape or it's Napa Valley or it's um southeast Australia which is huge but it's still a regional designation Cava is connected to lots of different regions which may not actually have that much in common apart from the fact that they make some, some, some sparkling wine So the vast majority is made in Catalonia in the DO of Penedes, which is just south of Barcelona on the Mediterranean coast. And that's what we'll be concentrating on because that's where about 95% of Cava is made. But a lot of the uh, production there comes from really small growers who sell their grapes to the two big um, Cava giants, Freixionet and Cordoniu, And that's where even though Cava is strongly connected to Penedes, there's still a lack of identity because it's these really small growers just selling their fruit and made into high volume wines. So what we'll be looking at in this episode is how some producers are challenging that and actually making um, site-specific wines. But Cava can also be made further inland in Aragon, around the city of Zaragoza. And then in Rioja, which is of course most famous for its great red wine and its aged red wine, as well as some white and some rose as well, but there is a small amount of sparkling wine or Cava made in Rioja and the neighbouring regions, also Nevada, which is just um, next door to Rioja. And these can be um, labelled Cava, even though they have little in connection with the wines of Penedes and Catalunya. One good Cava to... uh, isn't too hard to find from Rioja is Muga. And Muga is a really good producer and their cava is quite tasty. But then we go much further afield to Extremadura, which is not a region known for its wine at all, of any style. It's actually more famous for its um, acorn-fed pigs. And of course, ham is a big thing in Spain. And so that's what that region is most known for. But Cava can be made in Extremadura as well. And this is literally the other side of the country from Catalonia where Cava originated. So that gives you a sense of the the lack of identity or the kind of the diverse identity of Cava, which makes it a bit confusing to talk about. And then also the other side of the country is Valencia, Just going back to the Mediterranean. And Cava can be made in the Valencia region, uh, slightly further inland where it's higher elevation, which cools things down a little bit because it does get hot in Valencia. So if you look at a map of where Cava is made, you'll see that it's covering vast portions of Spain, which have completely different climates, even different grape varieties. And therefore it's hard to think of, it's hard to speak of Cava as one distinct thing. So why is cava made in all these different regions? Well, a little bit of history. The history of cava dates back to the 1850s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, There was a sparkling wine entered into a competition in Madrid in 1851, and that's the first real um, example of a Spanish sparkling wine, but then it really developed in Catalonia at the um, Agricultural Institute of Santa Cidra in Catalonia. And in the 1970s, um, sparkling wines were entered by students from that institute. And then um, one other thing we're going to talk about in this episode are the indigenous varieties, which some people stick very loyally to, others feel don't produce the highest quality sparkling wine. And that's periada, Macabeo and Charello. And the first person to make sparkling wine out of these grapes was Josep Reventos I Faccio of Cordinillo, one of the two big giants. And so they really established that style of Cava from indigenous varieties and the identity of Cava coming from Catalonia in particular. But it wasn't until about 100 years later that these wines started to be exported, in part because uh, the death of Franco and the onset of democracy opened up the Spanish market, both um, in exports as well as imports. And so they had to come up with a term for the sparkling wine that was being produced in Spain, in particular Catalonia, and they called it Cava, which means cellar. So these wines are aged in the cellar before release. Um, With Cava, the minimum ageing requirement on the Lees is nine months. So Cava is made in the same way as Champagne, where you have the first fermentation to around 10, 10 10.5% alcohol, with really high acidity. And then the wine will be bottled, yeast and sugar added to the wine and then um, capped with a crown cap to um, maintain the carbon dioxide from the second fermentation which occurs in the bottle. And then once the fermentation is over, there's contact with the dead yeast cells or the lees. With champagne, minimum ageing is 12 months, for vintage champagne it's 36 months, Um, but for cava, minimum ageing is 9 months. So there's a subtle difference there, but one real actual difference is that a lot of quality champagne producers go way beyond the 12 months aging, or even the 36 months aging for vintage. Whereas most Cava, it really is that nine months, and that is it. And so there's very little these contact in comparison, which means you don't really get the yeasty, nutty, smoky complexity that you might get with champagne. It's a little more basic and to be drunk now. So also after Spain in a transition to democracy, it joined the, what is now the EU. And that was in 1986, and of course, there had to be a lot of trade agreements signed off um, as it joined the EU. And France quickly realised that because Cava was becoming quite popular internationally, and it was often called Champagne, or Champagne, they had to protect the Champagne name. So the different regions of France reached an agreement internally that wine called Champagne could only come from Champagne, and then other regions were called Cremon, so Cremon de Loire, Cremon de Bourgogne. Creme d'Alsace etc and that no other region outside of France could call themselves Champagne and so Cava had to when entering the EU had to formally categorize their style of sparkling wine realizing they couldn't call it Champagne or Champagne and they had to formalize the Cava regulation the trouble is Cava is not a region it's a style of wine so what they did any region that was producing sparkling wine or Cava came under the overarching DO, so the appellation, And so this covers Catalonia, it covers Aragon, it covers Nevada, it covers Rioja, it covers Extremadura and it covers Valencia. So in some ways that was a smart move because it protected a lot of growers and producers and gave an identity, an overall Spanish identity to Cava and the sparkling wines made in Spain. The trouble is, an appellation is supposed to represent a very distinct regional identity and CAVA does not have that because it's made in all these different areas. So although commercially it may have been a smart move, in terms of promoting quality it was not. And what's happened since um, the 1980s is that Cava has become a mass-produced high-volume sparkling wine that is Spanish, so it does have that identity, but nothing particularly regional. Whereas um, Champagne, a small region, broken down into the sub-regions and the villages, the Grand Cru villages, the Premier Cru villages, there's a very distinct sense of identity. Whether it is the really big producers, the Grand Marc, or the grower-producers who produce wine in smaller quantities from smaller areas, there's still a very distinct identity to those wines which Cava arguably lacks. And then the other problem is that Cava is dominated by two uh, very big producers, Cordonieux and Freichenet, and they don't always agree. And this has held back innovation and really moving Cava forward. Nevertheless, there has been some innovation. In the 1990s, Cordonieux in particular pushed for um, plantings of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, which of course are the grapes of um, Champagne. And these are arguably much more suited to sparkling wine than the indigenous grapes that have traditionally been used in Catalonia. So again, there's a lot of um, to and fro, push and pull when it comes to cover and innovation, because if one one big producer pushes one thing, the other producer, um, Freixenet, for example, would resist and vice versa but i think at this point both those producers as well as other producers in cava realize that for it to survive commercially and be competitive with all the sparkling wine not just from france but also italy with the rise of prosecco and australia and california and so on they really need to up their game they need to have high quality wine in order to in order for people to buy it and that's not necessarily making more expensive wine but it's raising the quality from the bottom up as well At the same time, there is more expensive wine being produced so that they can try and compete with Champagne, Francia Corta, and the high-end Australian or Californian or South African sparkling wines. So There is a sense of urgency, I think, in Catalonia in particular, and that's what we're going to focus on because the other regions are pretty small in their production. So this sense of international competition and having to improve quality which is why it's time for the podcast to revisit cover and address some of the changes which have been occurring over the last three to five years. But first of all, where is Catalonia? So it's northeast Spain, very fierce a sense of um, identity. Of course, there's been a lot of uh, independence controversy in Catalonia, it has its own language, has its own culture, and Catalan nationalists feel that their region is very distinct from the rest of Spain, and therefore it should be independent. Of course, that's also because it's quite a wealthy region, uh, quite industrial in its history, and so there's a bit more money there than in other areas of Spain. So some Catalans feel that they support poorer areas of Spain, which they would prefer not to do. So a definite sense of local or regional or even national identity in Catalonia, which could be expressed in the wines of Cava, but arguably has not been done so so far. So this is maybe another reason why Cava producers should be really trying to get a sense of regional identity as others, other regions in the world do, to understand what Catalonia is, to sell Catalonia to the rest of the world. Of course, the major city is Barcelona, and most cava is produced just south of Barcelona on the Mediterranean coast. So it is a warmer climate than Champagne, for instance, and many other sparkling wine regions, which is where the Mediterranean Sea becomes important because that brings in cooling influence. And within Penedes, there are different um, levels of elevation which will produce different styles of wine. So another opportunity for regional identity in the wines. So lower down near the coast, it's gonna be warmer. But then going upwards, as you get to higher elevation, conditions cool down, particularly at night. And so much of the best cava is 250 meters elevation or even more, maintains the acidity and stops the wines becoming too fruity. For higher volume wines, those those grapes could be sourced from all three regions or maybe just the warmer region where it's easier to get the grapes ripe, which is near the coast. But for the higher quality wines, there may be single vineyard sites or a, a smattering of vineyard blending from higher elevation to maintain that acidity. So site selection is really important and maybe historically that has not been taken into consideration enough, but that is hopefully changing. So mentioned the grape varieties, Macabeo is a high acid grape variety grown across Catalonia, also into Roussillon, and also grown in Rioja where it's known as Viura, and high acid green apple, quite neutral, and therefore fairly appropriate for sparkling wine. Then there's Parellada, which has to be grown at high elevation because it struggles to maintain its acidity, so less suitable for sparkling wine unless you really have the uh, best site, or the appropriate site. And then there's Charello, which is the highest quality grape of the uh, Cava varieties. If you taste a still charello, which is made by a really good producer, it's really, really good. It's got intensity and depth and concentration, kind of smoky aromas, age-worthy, and um, can be quite expensive and justifiably so. Whether that makes it appropriate for sparkling wine is another issue, because it can add too much weight to the wine. That really depends on the style that the Cava producer is going for but it does have the concentration of flavors. So these three can be blended together and often it's a, a third of each. And again, that's perhaps for practical reasons rather than for taste or for quality. Whereas again, a high quality producer will really, con- will really focus on their blend and how those grape varieties interact with each other and where they're planted and for the best sites for them, what they have access to. There is also um, Rosado Cava made which, like Champagne, can be made simply by blending red wine and white wine together in the base wine, which helps with managing tannin and colour, so you don't get too much tannin or too much colour, although a lot of Cava can be quite dark in colour, because that's kind of the Spanish taste for a deeper coloured rosé. You'll see that with still rosé as well, or Rosado, which doesn't necessarily lend itself to the best styles of sparkling rosé wine. so different black grape varieties can be used such as monastrel trepat is a local grape variety which is uh, sometimes used and also um, garnacha which is relatively low in tannins so it's about balancing that tannin management as well as retaining the acidity and of course pinot noir can be used as well so traditionally and a rosé or rosado would not be 100% red wine or from black grapes, but would be a blend of white wines with black grapes or red wine that comes from, comes from black grapes. Uh, but there are a handful of producers who are making wine solely from black grape varieties and those are perhaps the ones to seek out. So as I mentioned, part of the debate in Kava is whether to use indigenous or international grape varieties. Traditionalists would go for indigenous varieties, and still that those dominate. That is part of Cava's identity. The issue can be with, not necessarily with acidity, but maybe too much fruitiness. And also what Kava is known for, or infamous for, is the rubbery, mushroom, smoky aromas, which aren't always particularly well integrated. And whether it's a lower quality wine or higher quality wine, that is something that really distinguishes Kava and makes it very different from Champagne. Whereas Champagne will be quite neutral, the very gentle fruitiness, creaminess coming from the, the mousse, from the bubbles, Cava is a bit more aggressive, a bit more assertive, and of course that's the warmer climate as well. Even though it's made in a similar style, the different length of ageing, as well as the grape varieties, makes Cava quite different from sparkling wines from other regions that use Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, or Meunier. So, I mentioned it's made in the same way as champagne, the traditional method, but there are different uh, regulations for the length of Lee's contact. Um, the most common is at th- 9 months aging, which is 88% of all cover, so quite short. 10% is 15 months, so a little bit longer than. Non-vintage champagne regulations, and then about two percent is 30 months, which is the equivalent, which would could be labelled a Grand Reserva. and so Reserva and Grand Reserva, as in Rioja, are used to indicate wines which have been aged for longer than the standard regulations. And so let's look at these regulations. And um, these have been changed in recent years. The official term is not just Cava; it's Cava de guadir, which mean, kind of means like a, a, a stored um, Cava. And that would refer to the nine months aging, which is 88% of all wines. And the now, there's, it used to be simply Reserva, Grand Reserva, but these come under the umbrella category of Cava de Guardia Superior, which indicates either Reserva or Grand Reserva, which has been aged for longer than the standard regulations. As with um, Champagne, the terms Brut and Brut Nature are used. So Brut would be dry to off-dry style whereas brut nature would mean no dosage, so no sugar has been added to the wine after the disgorgement, and so tending towards a drier style, which is much more popular in general with sparkling wine, especially in champagne, but that's been echoed in other wine regions. And then there's the Rosado. But we also have to remember that a lot of consumers still like some sweetness in their wine, especially um, in a sparkling wine where the acidity is so high. So thinking about Prosecco, which is often 17 to 25 grams per liter of sugar likewise in Cava, a third of their exports are semi secco which is that similar um, medium dry style which will have noticeable sugar which adds some weight to the wine adds some sweetness to the wine balances acidity stops it being too tart but isn't necessarily very complex because that sugar is simply coming from adding in the dosage before uh, the final bottling so not Particularly complex rather than just an addition. And so, if when buying Cava, really go for a Brut or even better, a Brut Nature, where you actually really taste the wine itself rather than the sugary addition. Another relatively recent change in Cava is the creation of a new appellation, Cava de Paraque Calificado, which designates wines which, which come from single sites or single vineyards. And this is created to really emphasize a, that sense of regional identity, which I've been talking about, which has been absent from Cava over the last 30 to 40 years as it's, as it's become most successful internationally. And so this is really trying to promote unique sites and also really good producers who work with those sites. You know exactly where the fruit is coming from. And that wine, every time it's made vintage to vintage, will have its own identity. So it's it's not like um, the really consistent, but often monotonous styles of cover which are made year in, year out, so you know exactly what you're getting. These will have vintage variation, as well as site variation. So for this um, designation, it must be single site, which must be 10 years old, at least. So it has some age to it. There were 12 sites declared in 2017, owned by producers Really good producers like Alto Aiea and Juvier Camps, but also Cordonio as well, who've really been trying to push this this designation and trying to, I think they've really tried to associate Cava with quality as well as the, the basic stuff that they make. Yields must be 48 hectolitres per hectare or lower in comparison with 80 hectolitres per hectare for the rest of Cava, so much lower yields. The wine must be aged for 36 months at least, and it must be vintage. And it must be brute or even drier brute nature and these wines are tasted and also there's a traceability to the wines as well so there's um there's a code on the bottles which allows you to trace the wine from the source the vineyard all the way through winemaking, aging etc etc so there's a real sense of this is exactly where the wine comes from this is exactly how it was made we can trace where it comes from so more accountability And so this is the big example of how Cava is really trying to change its identity. It's still new. It's still small. And there's there's controversy as well, because just because a vineyard is 10 years old and is a single site doesn't mean it's going to be the greatest wine in the world. that's where the tastings hopefully come in to ensure that the wine really does meet the quality that this appellation is looking for. And these wines can be quite expensive and they're only just coming into the market and because Cava has a reputation for inexpensive wine, so $10 in the US or under, it's hard to persuade people to spend more on those wines. So it's going to have to take a lot of education and hard work, but also just making the wine that justifies those higher prices to convince the consumer to spend that. But this designation has come from lots of controversy in Cava about quality. So the oldest producer in the Cava region is Raventos y Blanc, and they broke away in 2012 and created their own um, kind of unofficial appellation called Conca del Rio Anoia, which is in Eastern Penedes. And the reason they broke away is because they considered that the quality of Cava was so low that their reputation was being tainted by um, being in the designation. So they left the designation and said, we're going it alone. And it is pretty unusual for a very good producer to break away from a well-known um, appellation or well-known designation. And Revital C. Blanc are extremely good, and there's been no real sign of them returning to the fold, despite these changes and these pushes for higher quality. Another producer who broke away is Albert E. Neuer in 2014, and they created their, again, their own term, classic Penedes, which is... Um, can only means the wine can only come from Penedes. So again, a sense of regional identity. And the wines must be aged for 15 months. And then there's another breakaway organisation called Corpinat, which was formed in 2018. The name means born in the heart of Penedes, which I don't think is particularly clear from the name. I feel they could have come up with something a bit more obvious than Corpinat. But again, their breakaway was inspired by a sense that they wanted to produce high quality wine and they considered themselves high quality producers and that Cava was holding them back and not just holding them back but holding the reputation of their wines back and so creating their own organization would give a sense of identity which they could market internationally and so these wines must be organically farmed they must be hand harvested and also the growers are paid a premium and so the big issue with the dominance of Caudenieu and Freischinet is that they pay the, the growers simply on quantity rather than quality. So a grower just wants to get as much fruit as possible, sell it, and then that's it, the harvest is done. But if you pay growers a premium, then you're paying for quality, and therefore the growers have to work hard in the vineyard to justify the higher prices of the grapes. They're paid 70 cents per kilo in comparison to the 40 cents per kilo, which is the average for most other cava so a real emphasis on quality at the same time there are limitations on how much great how much fruit the producers can actually purchase only 25 percent of the fruit can be purchased in contrast with again Courtney or Freichenet who are purchasing most of their fruit from really small growers so again that's giving just a sense of control over the fruit also a sense of that this is the producer's fruit that they have worked with from start to finish so again it is that sense of identity and about 10% of Corpinat is international varieties such as um, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, which emphasises that even these producers, kind of more modern, dynamic producers, want to work with the indigenous varieties, feeling that as a part of Cava's identity, even if Pinot Noir and Chardonnay can produce really high-quality wines, those wines may just taste like Champagne or Franchiocorta or uh, New World regions. So the original producers there who formed Corpinat were Yopat Yopart. Nadal, Recaredo, Sabatia Coca, and Torreo. And they've been joined by producers Can Facius, Julia Burnett, Mascandi, Can Descrigute, and Pardas And I actually tasted a wine from Can Descrigute just the other day, which was um, really, really good, and it wasn't that expensive, I think, it's, I think it's like $25, but there's a real freshness to it. It didn't have too much of that rubbery smokiness, which is associated with Cava, but still had a Cava identity. It still smelt like Cava, but very, very good. Whether these producers will rejoin Cava uh, if quality goes up is up for debate. Whether Corpinats as an organization will be incorporated into the Cava Dio, again, is up, up for debate. We'll just have to see. Corpinats only represents 1% of Cava, so it is I mean, there's only a few producers that I've listed there, and so it is very small. But 30% of Grand Reserva Cava was produced by these producers before their breakaway. So they've always been concentrated on the wines which have been aged for longer, and therefore more complex, more concentrated. Just to mention that Raventassi Blanc, who I mentioned uh, broke away back in 2012, they have not joined Corponat. They're still doing their own thing. So the question is, is this Corponat a revolution? Is it a breakaway? or is it bringing the region forward? Is corporate going to be incorporated? Does it push CAVA producers to be higher quality? Or is it just going to be completely its own thing while CAVA just remains in this kind of low quality, high quantity rut? But I think I'm getting the impression that CAVA is open to change. It realises it has to change. It's seen these producers break away from the region and be successful and be highly regarded internationally and realise that maybe the producers that remain in the CAVA DO have to do the same. They have to push up their quality. And it may, may be similar to what happened with Chianti and the Super Tuscans. At first the Super Tuscans were mocked for not representing the identity of the region. And then these Chianti producers and growers saw that they were fetching very high prices and were very highly regarded. And eventually the Chianti rules were changed to incorporate Super Tuscans and to be part of that movement. So maybe something similar will happen with Kava. These producers pushing quality up other producers have to follow and there are some very good producers uh, within the Cavadio already who have not left the organization so hopefully everything is going in a positive direction some producers I that I would recommend from the Cavadio I've already mentioned like Alto Aiella, um, Juve e Camps, i actually think Caudigny would do a very good job, um, Anna de Cordonier is just under $20 and it's a pretty um, solid wine, Avigno or another producer about 250-300 meters elevation inland from the coast who produce very good wines as well both brut and brut nature so there's good cava out there go to an independent wine shop and taste some cava to really see how it's different from champagne and other sparkling wine regions but also the direction it's going in and hopefully the quality is getting better and better that's cava Spain's famous sparkling wine, which has a fame which spreads around the world. There's lots of it made, lots of it drunk. Trouble is, quality, regional identity haven't always been there, but hopefully that's changing. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.